Well, go ahead. You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That'll be one of the places we'll look first. We're going to go to several different places. We're continuing our study of temptation. And this semester, of course, this has gone a little bit longer. A lot of times we'll try to keep them semester to semester. We had a few different things happen this semester, so it's stretching out just a little bit longer. But we're looking at uh, temptation. It is a powerful subject. We're all tempted every day. We're pulled every day to to to, to do wrong, and that and uh, you know we know that temptation itself is not sin, but it can lead to sin. So we've asked the three big questions as we do the study: What is temptation? Where does temptation come from? And how do we deal with temptation? And we're really in our third area right now. We saw that uh, temptation is the pull to do wrong. Where does it come from? It comes from really where the end. There's a fallen world system controlled by the devil, but then we have the flesh, and so temptation comes that way. We saw that temptation is not sin because Jesus was tempted but without sin. So we, we're tempted. We saw that whole pattern where you can see it, you want it, you take it, and you hide it. And the goal is that when you see it and want it, if you cannot go any further, if you can have victory in that way. So how do we deal with temptation? We're in this third area, and we looked at the people who failed in the Bible. We looked at people who had victory. We saw how Jesus dealt with temptation. And, of course, we got some really practical things we're going to see in the next two to three weeks but last time, we gave really a preview of what happens. How do you deal with sin, deal with temptation sin, but what happens when you sin? So this morning, we're going to talk about how do we have victory. And so I think there's some great things to see. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we come into this world dead and trespassed and sins. A lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people don't realize. In fact, I remember when I was, uh, before I went to seminary, I was working for a state farm agent, and a lady came in one morning. And we were talking, and something came up about the Bible. And so she started saying about the Bible. And I said, you know, one of the truths of the Bible is that we're all sinners. We've all come into the world dead in trespasses and sin, and we're all sinners. And we need a Savior. And she said, my children aren't sinners. I said, what do you mean? She said, my children are good. She said, they actually come into this world good. I said, no. I said, do they ever do anything wrong? And she said, well, rarely. I said, did you teach them to do wrong? And she said, well, no. And I said, well, then where did, why do they do wrong? And I, you know, and, and she said that her children weren't sinners, but I said, yeah, they are. Everybody is. And so when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, there's a change. We're born again. We become a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 7, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We're child of God. The problem is we still have the pull to sin. It would, it would, well, you know, God knows and God has the perfect plan. Sometimes we would say it would have been great that the moment you trust Christ, you don't have the pull to sin anymore. But that's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> amen, but that's not what happened. The temptation is there. Temptation is the pull to do sin. Uh, temptation is not sin, but how do we deal with it? We saw last time there are consequences when you sin. And we're not going to go into the details, but you remember Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There are consequences. We saw them last time that when we have sin in our lives, we lose our fellowship with God and others. So the moment you sin, you're out of fellowship with God, you're out of fellowship with others. We talked about that and went on a good bit on it. Then we said also that we lose our testimony because we're to be salt and light in the community. When we have sin in our lives, we lose the opportunity and the testimony to touch people for Christ. And then last but not least, we said it stops our growth. We went to the book of Hebrews, and because those people had sinned and pulled away from God and were not growing anymore, he said, the writer of the Hebrews said, by this time you should be teachers. But they hadn't grown. And there are a lot of Christians who are still baby Christians because of the sin in their lives, because they've yielded to temptation, because those kind of things. We ended last time with a great truth that victory is possible. And we see that God, there are three big areas so that we can have victory over temptation and sin. We look, we're going to look at God's promises, 
God's provisions and our responsibilities. That's really the key. God's promises, God's provisions, and our responsibilities. I put it this way. Let me just show you. Just, and this is just something to look at. But in victory over temptation, first of all, God has promises. We're going to see those today. God is working even in the temptation. We are responsible. That's a promise from God that we are responsible. Well, I'll tell you how that's a promise. And then the last, victory is possible. We're going to see that this morning. Next time, we're going to see God's provisions. It's going to take us a little bit because we're going to look at the Word of God, which is His provision. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit of God, which is His provision. But then we're going to take just a little bit to look at the armor of God because we need that. We have to put on the armor of God to have victory. And then last but not least, we talk about how do we have victory? Well, we realize our responsibility has to do with our thinking and our actions. How do we think? What do we do? And so in the next three to four weeks, as we continue in this study of temptation, we'll do that. I want you to be thinking also about, is there a subject that you want to look at in, the, in, uh, in grow groups when we finish temptation? I, I would think that there's, I've already, I've already worked through lesson 13, so we're going to have at least 13 lessons, maybe 14 or 15 by the time we're through. So if you can think about some subject you would like to study in grow groups, or I'll do like I've done in the past. I'll bring several studies, four or five studies, and say, here's some things we can look at. Which one do y'all want to do? And we'll do that in, in the next couple of weeks. But let's start with God's promises, because that's where we are. And we saw that in God's promises, there are really three things. God is working. We are responsible. And victory is possible. So this is how we see, and these are promises. And you may say, how? It's a promise that God's working. Okay, I can sort of see that. But God's working in temptation? And then we are responsible. That's a promise to us, and I'll show you how. And then victory is possible, and that's something that we have seen. So let's look at this first one, that God is working in our lives. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 28. It's a verse that we've talked about many, many, many times. It says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The very first thing we see is that God is working in all the events of our lives. God causes all things to work together for good. Now, it didn't say that all things were good, but it says that God is going to work all things together for good. We see in Ephesians chapter 1 that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Since God is a sovereign God, that means anything that comes into your life, even temptation... And God doesn't bring, God is not the one that tempts you and anything like that. But God allows us to live in a fallen world where there's temptation. And he takes even the times of temptation and uses them and can use them for good, even bad things for good. The life of Jesus. God actually had Jesus go out into the wilderness and he was tempted. Jesus was tempted by the, by the devil. And what was that whole purpose? We saw that to show that Jesus Christ is God and that he can't sin and that how he dealt with all of those things. And we can use the same thing. God even takes our temptations and can use them for good. God can take your failures and use them for good. Sometimes when you're tempted and you sin, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when, you t- when you're tempted and you sin? What do you do? Okay, well, okay, you hide it. Uh, but let's say that you don't hide it. Let's say you finally get to the point where you don't hide it. What do you do then? Okay, we confess it. Okay, we confess it. And what? He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us and cleanse us. Okay, so now we're back in the fellowship with God. So how is God, how can God take, she's still hiding, but anyway, okay. How can God take these events and use that for good? How? 
Have you sinned, done wrong, recognized it, confessed it, got back in fellowship, and then when that same temptation came again, maybe this time what happened? You could have victory. Yeah, you, might, you, you could fall again or you could have victory. God says sometimes he can take us and we can learn from mistakes, so to speak. We can grow from different things. We can say, you know, that's not very wise. That's not going to help me grow as a Christian. So even when we sin, even when we fall, God is working in our lives. He can take all things. All things work together for good. God says this. God promises that he is working in all things, even temptation. Now remember, God doesn't tempt you. The book of James says God doesn't tempt you. God doesn't tempt you to do evil. God allows things to come into your life, but he doesn't tempt you. We fall, if you remember in James chapter 1, he says that there's, there's the fallen world and there's the temptation and then our flesh responds to that and we sin. So we can't blame God and say, well, God put, put me in that situation or God allowed that situation. Listen, he allows us to live every day in a fallen world, right? You're in a fallen world. He didn't clean it up. He's going to one day, when Jesus comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he's going to straighten everything out. And when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was a great environment until they sinned. And from that point on, it is a fallen world, and it says the world groans until one day when he's going to come and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth and a new place and a new Jerusalem, and then he's going to clean it up. But right now, we're in a fallen world. Here's the great truth about that God works all things, even in this whole temptation and sin, we're not at the mercy of fate or luck. Things just don't happen to us. We don't just say, ooh, that just happened to me. Oh, that was bad luck. There is no bad luck. In fact, there is no luck. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is in control of all things. We are not alone. God works all things. That's the first one. Here's the second one. And this is, sometimes people say, this is a promise of God. Yeah, here's a promise of God. We're responsible. We're responsible. We're responsible for how we respond. Be not deceived. God is not mine. Whatever a man, what? Sows that shall he also, what? Reap. Listen, whatever we put in, we get out. We are accountable. There's a principle that we find in the Bible. We're not puppets. We're not robots. Look, there's some people who teach that God makes you believe. He makes you do that. He makes you live right. Uh, do you find that uh, you're being made to live right? <laughs> or do you find that it's a struggle to live right? Okay, so God, we're not, we're not a puppet. God says, I have put you on this earth. You have my power. You have my word. You have the body of Christ. You have all of this. And you are accountable and responsible for how we live. And that's a promise from God. That's a good thing. Because if it wasn't, then you could say, oh, I'm not in control. If I sin, that's not my fault. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. God did it. We're not puppets. We're accountable for what we do. There's the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever you put in, you get out. Notice this. If we sow to the flesh, we reap from, we reap from the flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, we reap from the Spirit. By the way, if you finish the verse out, I didn't put it all on there. If we sow to the flesh, we reap from the flesh. Anybody know what it is? Corruption. That's destruction. And then if it says that we, wrote, we sow to the Spirit, we reap from the Spirit, you know what the answer is? Eternal life. I'm not talking about that you get eternal life. It's talking about that you enjoy the, the aspect of what an eternal relationship with God is like. So how do we want to live? 
Do we want to live with destruction and corruption, or do we want to live with life and blessing? And we are accountable. He says that the truth is when we sin, God's going to deal with us. We don't want to take it. I mean, oftentimes we don't want to take the blame for our sin, but God says, hey, you're accountable for how you live. You're accountable for how you live. Think back in the Bible of all the places. Did God say to David, you couldn't help it? I put that woman out there, and you couldn't help it. Uh, it's your, it, it, it. In fact, let, let's think back for a second, because you got Adam and Eve in the garden, right? A- actually, it's the man and the woman. you got Adam, Adamah, and Isha, the woman, and they're in the garden. And God already told them, don't, told Adam, do not eat from the tree of the, of the garden, of the, the tree of good and evil in the middle of the garden. Don't eat from that. And if you do, you'll die. And so he, after she was created... He told her, don't eat it, don't even touch it. When Satan came and tricked him, and she doubted God's love, she doubted God's word, she gave it to Adam, he did the same thing. When God came and said, where are you? And they went, we're, we're, we're over here. And he basically said, well, we, we were afraid. He said, you're afraid. God already knows everything. He knew where they were. He, he, God doesn't go in, I don't know where they are. He knew exactly where they were. He says, they're really over there behind that bush. I'm just going to ask them where they are so they can admit where they are. And he said, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to? What did he say? He didn't say, yeah, I, I, whew, I just flat out ate that thing. He said, you gave me a defective woman. He did, Yeah. He said two things. The woman you gave me, he blamed two people. He blamed the woman and he blamed God. And when we sin, sometimes we want to blame God. We want to say, well, if you hadn't put me in that situation, or if that hadn't happened, or if you know what kind of home life I grew up with, if you knew how my father treated me, if you knew how my mother treated me, (coughs) and we want to say to God, you did all these things, and that's why I'm the way I am. The way we are is because we're fallen people. And we're sinners, and we need a Savior. And we are accountable. And God says, I got a promise for you. Here's the promise. Whatever you put in, you get out. Whatever you sow, you reap. That's a good promise. Because if you sow of the Spirit, what do you reap? Life. Eternal life. See, nobody wants to be... We're in a whole culture of victims. We're all victims. Everybody's victim. Well, not everybody. There are many of you. I talk to you. You're not a victim. You say, I'm not a victim. I did wrong. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God by the grace of God. I've got eternal life. I'm saved. I I struggle sometimes. I've sinned, but I know I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the Bible. I can live righteously and godly when I sin. I need to confess it, get back right with God and go on. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of a fallen world and a devil because I have greater is he that's in me than what? He that's in the world. You listen, we don't have to, you know, we're going to see this last one in just a second. You don't have to sin. That sounds weird, but we don't have to. So we, nobody wants to be at fault. We want no fault insurance. We want no fault divorces. We want no fault on anything, but God holds us accountable. He does. He does. We are responsible, and we can have victory, or we can have defeat. We can either sin or live righteously, and we are responsible. And every one of us in this room, including me, that whenever we choose to do wrong, we have nobody to blame but who? Ourselves. We have nobody to blame. We want to blame everybody else. We want to blame our environment. We want to blame our situation. We want to blame God. We want to bl- the person you blame is you. 
And that's why when you say, Lord, I blew it. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself because you have provided everything and I have sinned. And when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So this is a great promise that you're not at the mercy of something else. You are not a victim. You are responsible. You and I are responsible for how we live and what we do. That's a promise. So you can have victory. Because when the temptation comes, you see it, you want it, you what? You do it, you take it, and you hide it, okay? So what happens? What When we get to the point when the temptation comes, we say, I am responsible for how I'm going to respond to this, right? You're not at the mercy of something. You're not at the mercy of, of a fallen world. So that, that's an amazing thing. We got one more, and this is the key thing. Victory is possible. Victory is possible. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We've seen this before. We saw it actually at the very start of our study, which has been a few weeks ago. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to see this. This is what we'll talk about in the time we have left this morning. Victory is possible. You know what that means to me? That means victory is possible. Haven't you been faced with things, and you, especially as, as the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily what? Entangle us? Every one of us in this room, I guarantee you, there are things that are going on in our lives, and they keep on going on in our lives. And we keep doing it, and we say, oh, like Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man that I am. I know that every one of us in this room, there are sins in your life that you battle over and over. And we say things like, I don't know. It's hard to have victory. And what we realize is God says, here's a promise, victory is possible. Victory is possible. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's reminding them. He's reminding them. He goes back to the Old Testament about the wilderness wandering, how they failed how they sinned, how they didn't trust God. You remember they were supposed to go into the land, they sent out 12 spies, ten, you know, they came back, ten, two said, go get it, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 said, they're like, we're like grasshoppers, they're like giants, they got walled cities, we can't take them, I don't think we can go. And everybody started crying and everything, and then they, and so, they, so God said, okay, you're not going to go? This whole generation is going to die out before you actually get to go. God was not pleased with that generation of believers. Think about it. All those people who put the blood on the door, killed the Passover lamb, came out of Egypt, watched the part the Red Sea, go to all that, go get the law at Mount Sinai. God was not pleased with them. You know what? Because they didn't trust him. Look what it says in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. They all died in the wilderness. And then look what he says in verse 6. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Listen, God says, listen, that's an example. Look back. Look back. The greatest, one of the great passages in the Bible is John 3, right? And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus talks about God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? That's John 3, 16. But all you have to do is go back to two verses, and it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus goes all the way back to this time period in the wilderness when they wandered around, and they griped at God, and he let snakes bite them. 
He was not pleased. And here's what God says. Listen, these things happened as examples for us that we would not crave evil things. We crave evil things all the time. He says, learn from the example. Was God, if you and I live in a state of sin, is God going to be pleased with us? No. And so victory is possible. Look what he says. He says in verse, verse 8, basically he says, don't be idolaters like they were, and don't, in verse 8 says, don't be immoral like they did, and don't basically try the Lord, let's test the Lord. And, and then in verse 10, don't grumble. In fact, look at this. They acted immorally, they tested the Lord, and he says, don't do this. This is what they did. He said they worshiped false gods, they had illicit sexual relations, they got, got killed by serpents because they grumbled all the time. And, and fussed about what God was doing. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. God brought them out, part of the Red Sea. They came across. They went a little further, and they said, we don't have any water, and we're mad. And so he gave them water. They came to a place, and it was this big, big old thing, and it was, the water was filthy. So he, he told Moses, take a piece of wood, throw it in there, put the piece of wood in there, and then water was good. And they went along, and they said, we don't have any more water. So... Hit the thing, water comes out. Now, by the way, that rock followed them. If you read this passage, read 1 Corinthians 10, the rock. You kept wondering, where did the water come from for all those years that they wandered around in the wilderness? The rock followed them. If you read it, it says the rock followed them. Look back. It says, uh, verse 4 of, of 1 Corinthians 10, and they all drank the same spiritual drink when they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. That's the, that's the generation. And then they said, well, he can give us water, but we want, we want like food, food. So he gave them what? Manna. Manna, mana, the Hebrew word mana means what is it? They saw it on the ground and they went, mana, manna, what is it? And they ate that. And then you know what they said? I don't really like that. I mean, I'm getting a little tired of it. And so he brought birds. He brought animals right into where they are. But what did they do the whole time? What did he say? They committed adultery, they acted immorally, they worshiped false gods, they grumbled. What were they grumbling about? They didn't like the food. Next time you go to a restaurant and sit down and go, I don't like the food here, well then get up and go somewhere else, right? <laughs> so here's what we see. Don't act immoral, don't test the Lord. Don't grumble. That's what he's telling them. He says, here's why. Verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instructions upon whom the end of the ages have come. He said, listen, these things that happened to them happened for an example for us so we can learn from it. Remember, victory is possible. He goes on to say, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he doesn't fall. Because, you know, what a person reading this would say, I ain't going to do that. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not going to be immoral. I'm not going to gripe all the time. Well, you might not do the first two, but I guess, I bet you we all do the third. I bet we all grumble. And then he says this. There's no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God's faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Now, here's the thing. God has a way for victory. He says, first of all, there's no temptation that's overtaken you except that's common to man. We can't say when a temptation comes, you remember it, you see it, and you what? 
You want it, okay? You can't say, this has never happened to any other person. Nobody's ever been tempted like this. Because he says, you can't say that because there's no temptation that such is, they're all common to man. This is what happens. And then he says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. See, it's to be overtaken. He's not going to allow a temptation to go beyond what we can handle. So anytime we're tempted, we see it, we want it, we take it, we hide it. When we get to the want part, God says, you don't have to take it. You don't have to do it. We don't have to sin. Now we do, but we don't have to. Because God says, I got a promise for you. You don't have to, you can have victory. You don't have to fail. We don't have to fail. There's no temptation that's overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He's faithful to do what? To make a way of escape. I still think of Joseph. Every time I read this passage, I think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife saying, come lie with me, come lie with me, come lie with me. She's got him in the house by himself. Nobody else is there. And he runs out the way. And no one, he's going to get in trouble no matter what. He, look, he's going to get in trouble if he stays. He's going to get in trouble if he goes. But he said, God has got me a way out of this. And that's called running out the front door. And sometimes we say, I just got to get away from this. Second Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. Flee it. Get away. You got to get away. He says, God will make a way of escape so we'll be able to endure it. We can have victory. Making a way of escape, a way out. We don't have to fail. So here's the truth. When the trial comes, it's not something new. Everybody's been through these kind of things. When the temptation comes, God's character is that he is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we're able, but will make a way out. So we can't really say, I couldn't help it because God is faithful. So promise is this. We don't have to fall. God will make a way out. So what about God's promises? First of all, he's working in our lives, right? Even in the temptation, even in the trials, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He's working everything together for good. Second, we are responsible. We're not victims. We are accountable. How we live has consequences. And third, victory is possible because God has provided a way of escape. Now, next, this, is, this is promises. Next time, we're going to see God's provisions. And those provisions are the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the armor of God. And that is amazing. Let me give you some applications quickly. Let's remember that God has promises for us concerning victory. Here they are. First, trust God who's working in our lives. You're not a victim. Things don't just happen. God is working all things. Even the bad things, he can take it. Understand the principle of sowing and reaping. You are accountable. I am accountable for how we respond, what we do. Are we going to see it and want it and take it and hide it? Or are we going to see it and want it and then do this, take God's way of escape? Take God's way of escape. And let me tell you, is, is that whole idea is the temptation's never going to end. Let me just let's say it, y'all. Temptation's never going to end. As long as you're in these bodies, we're in these bodies, it's never going to end. We're not going to get to a point where we can say, it won't bother me anymore. We're not going to get to a point where we can say, it, it, it just doesn't happen anymore. The only time that's going to ever happen is when God changes us, gives us new bodies, and puts us in the, the new heavens and the new earth, and then there won't be any kind of temptation or sin or anything. 
So right now, we've got to have victory. And the first thing is, remember, he's working all this stuff. He's working in our lives. There's, we're, not, we're accountable. We're not a victim. And God provides a way out. So we've got to trust him in the trials, in the temptations, knowing that he's working and that he will provide a way out.